everybody and welcome to Tour Guide Tell All, where your friendly neighborhood tour guides share with you some of the more fun and scandalous sides of history. And we are here with a real doozy of a topic today. As always, I'm Becca. And I'm Rebecca. And together we're the, the Rebecca's. That one was for Garrett. That was for it you, was. bud. Thanks for listening. <laughs> So I am really, really excited. We're coming to the end of August. This is actually or going to be our last season one official episode. So I, I'll have to have Candon maybe jump in here or I will have to put it in the show notes. But we have done in a this has been more than a calendar year. Yes. It's been like Almost 18, 18 months, months. Yeah. And we have done, you know, anywhere from three to four regular episodes a month. And then a bunch of mini bonus episodes. So, Candon, jumping in here. This is episode 94, which means we have done 94 episodes. Well, for y'all. I think we've done 95 because there was that one we had to re-record. We're, we're so excited the podcast has done so well. But this is going to be the end of season one. And we're going to take a tiny break that we keep calling August recess. But it might actually be more like a early September. We're going to see how it plays out. We're taking Basically, a little bit of a break. We record early so i feel like for us it will be an august recess and then they're just for the listeners it will be september late august early september ish i also feel like very strongly we should do a like retrospective and talk about our first season at some point and maybe push that in the fall yeah i think we definitely should so thank you guys i just want to say thank you guys for sticking with us this first season i we did not necessarily plan it this way uh, because as Rebecca, we'll talk a little bit about how we came upon this topic, but I love that we started with Alice Roosevelt Longworth, this dawn of a new century, incredible new woman. And we're sort of wrapping around to a story that comes much earlier, but is so, I think in its own way, uh, very similar to Alice. It's full of intrigue. It's what you think you know about it. There's actually so much more to it. And this is really a metaphoric event. It is representative of so much that's changing in the country. So I think we actually have really incredible bookends. But Rebecca, you want to tell us how we got this topic? Oh, so we got this topic. Um, we did a few months ago, a topic about we did the gold rush, uh, the California gold rush. And it's a really good episode. And I'm very proud of it. And I have like lived out West. And so I have this whole idea for a bunch of Western topics. And I mentioned a few of them. I like rattle them off in the episode. And one of them was, I'd love to talk about the Donner party. And we got immediate feedback from one of our amazing listeners who was like, yes, please do the Donner party. Talk about that big time. And so I was like, all right, listener requests, let's make this happen. And so we're going to talk about the Donner party and there's some juice in this story. Like spoiler alert, there is a lot of cool stuff. There's metaphors, there's arrogance, there's a Lincoln connection, which Becca is going to talk about. Cause that's her jam. And yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, so we're going to do intermittent wild west stuff. Cause I think it's cool and we can throw it in at some point, but this is sort of Donner party time. We're doing this. Uh, and to bring it back to the gold rush, if you listen to our gold rush pod, this is earlier than that. So none of the gold rush stuff has happened yet. So we're going even further back in time. Uh, and I think before we jump into it, I want to say, um, you know, this was a, a listener request, which was so exciting. Rebecca really did a bulk of sort of getting this going. But I want to say before we get started, I think if you know what 
anything about the Donner Party, you probably know one or two big flashy elements of this story. And I hope that doesn't turn you off to maybe wanting to listen to this. There are parts of this story that I think are difficult and jarring, but I also think that there's so much more than usually the soundbite about the Donner Party that we get. And um, I really do think this is sort of emblematic of what the United States is going through in the middle of the 19th century. Yes, I think this is such a good metaphor for exactly where the United States is at this moment. Um, and I thought, um, so first, also, I should mention, if you, like Becca and me, are around our same age cohort, you probably played the Oregon Trail computer Shout game. out, elder millennials. Heck yeah. This is, that knowledge is going to come in handy. You never thought that it would. But it is, that's going to become part of like what has sort of fleshes this out in your mind, that sort of Oregon Trail knowledge. So your weekends spent uh, dying of dysentery are not going to (laughs) go for naught. (laughs) But do you want to do the Lincoln part, Becca? Because. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, let's do the Lincoln part. What you need to know is that at the time that we are sort of setting off on this journey with the Donner Party, it's 1846. So President Abraham Lincoln is not President Abraham Lincoln yet. (laughs) He is at this point a pretty well-respected lawyer. He's sort of uh, making a name for himself as a lawyer. He's taking cases for a wide array of people, including helping people with bankruptcy cases, including an Irish immigrant, a guy named James Reed, who's going to come up in this story again very, very soon. So um, he was uh, buddies with Reed. They had actually fought in the Black Hawk War together. So, um, you know, Lincoln's at this like mover and shaker period in his career where um, he's making connections, making a name for himself. And in fact, he's just been elected um, to kind of his first big office. So he's got like, you know, political juice. But Lincoln also, like a lot of men of his era, is interested in going west. He wants to see California. In fact, this is something he talks about, even when he's president, about wanting to go out and see the Pacific Ocean, see this incredible continent. And so when he hears that of one of his former clients, a man, James Reed, is going to be a part of this party that's going out west, Lincoln is interested. Uh, He's interested in joining them. In fact, uh, it sounds as though um, it's hard to know exactly how far he gets in discussing this, but he certainly seems to reach out to Reed and discuss the possibility of joining them. So if you know anything about the Donner Party, imagine if Abraham Lincoln had gone there, he would have never become our 16th president, most likely, and things would have been very different. What stops him? is Mary Todd Lincoln. Uh, The fact that she has a small toddler and is pregnant again means she's not real eager to do any sort of big westward expansion. And she's an ambitious woman and she's ambitious for her husband. And she's sort of going, what are you doing, buddy? You've got your political career is starting. You're not going to go out west with a bunch of, you know, bunch of crazy people. Um, Like We're not going to go out west and start over. We've already built towards what we want here. And so thanks to Mary Todd Lincoln, Lincoln does not go off with the Donner Party. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. I yeah. cannot even imagine. I What I think is interesting, so Lincoln is much younger, obviously, at this point than we think of him. He'd be in his mid-30s at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's exactly the right age to go off with. These, absolutely. These and he's such, like, we focus so much correctly on his presidency and the Civil War and what a great president he was. And I always find that, like, his pre- 
presidency gets a little bit of short shrift. Like he's kind of fascinating. He's a great avatar for his moment in American history. He's got this, what he's from basically the frontier. He's got this westward eye that he never really loses. Like he's fascinated about the idea of California. He thinks about going out there and bringing his wife and kids. Well, one and a half kids, I guess, uh, with him out West. And it just is such a great, like, and we also don't talk about enough, I think, that Lincoln serves this one term in Congress, and then he's a lawyer again for a while, and he runs for Senate, and doesn't win, and then becomes president, like, kind of like magic. And it's so interesting to me how differently things could have turned out for the Lincolns, and we never would have heard of them. They would be like an afterthought, which is kind of sad, and we'd have been deprived of Lincoln. It, yeah, it's sort of crazy to think. Although, like you said, I think Lincoln's a great example of the kinds of men and the kinds of families, kind of people that get swept up in this westward expansion. Because I think it's easy to think about just sort of these like uh, lone pioneers going out, but they were often families. They were, you know, people bringing their wife and their children and their extended family and their in-laws and their grandparents. I mean, you know, this was a really difficult journey and it wasn't just being done by young men in their 20s, although there mm -hmm. certainly were plenty of men who used that opportunity to go west and reinvent themselves and go and strike out on their own. But it was often I'm uprooting my whole family and we're going to do this together. And it, yeah, and I think, and Link, Mary Todd Lincoln actually goes to wave goodbye to the Reed party. Like she like sees them off and is like, oh, bye, please write. I hope it's all good. We're not going. And I feel like that's kind of a symbol of like, they were actually knew each other. Like they were pretty close. Yeah. Um, so who were the Donners and who are the Reeds? How are these all people all connected? So here's the deal. George Donner is the main Donner. Uh, he is about 60. He has a wife whose name is Tamsin. She's actually his second wife and he has children from both marriages. So he has a couple kids who are in their late uh, or early teens. And then him and his wife Tamsin have a bunch of little, little kids. In fact, their youngest is about two. I would not bring a two-year-old on this journey. I would not. It just wouldn't happen. Uh, he also, George has a brother, Jacob, also last name is Donner. Uh, they have seven kids. And then the Reed party, uh, his James Reed is the one who knows Lincoln, his wife, Margaret, and they have many kids of their own. There is a total of 32 between these families when they leave uh, Independence, Missouri. So that's and, three families, 32 people. That's yeah. the size that people were traveling with often. And these are young kids young women there was and they're part of a larger wagon train that should also be like we think of this as like an isolated people because we all played Oregon Trail and you're just one like Conestoga wagon which spoiler alert they actually did not use <laughs> not the point but you're just in one wagon heading west with your like three or four kids or whatever that's not how this worked you're part of a wagon train there's strength in numbers and they all know it uh, and so the Donner Reed party are going to be at the tail end of an almost 500 wagon train heading west and they leave like Independence Missouri again we all played the Oregon Trail. You leave in Independence, Missouri. It is on the far western edge of Missouri. And that's the like springboard to the west. And it takes, as you can imagine, a long time for 500 wagons to like get started. This is it's, like. It's not wild. just like, let's go. Yeah, no, this is. And you're also, you're packing up your whole life. You're bringing 
everything of value, any furniture you want. And the Donners and the Reeds, and this is something that's going to slow them down a little bit. They bring a lot of stuff that's perhaps not maybe the wisest, like a cook stove and like comfortable yeah. chairs and like, you're going to be traveling for months. I have to mention James Reed's um, wagon is considered so fine and so beautifully packed. This is a man who declares bankruptcy and is going out West partially to like start over, but he gets money to buy what was later called the Prairie Palace. That's how ornate and big his wagon was. A feather bed for his mother-in-law who's ill. She's ill and going on this journey. They've got this cook stove. Um, The Donners, you know, if you played the video game, uh, the computer game, Oregon Trail, you know you were limited in what you could take, but you needed to take stuff. That was important yes. because it was a long journey. You needed obviously things to subside, to, to keep you to survive, but you also needed, you know, enough animals to cover if animals got sick or lame. You needed stuff to trade. You needed stuff that you could sell along the way. So, you know, you needed to have things that you could negotiate with. And so they were really packing and taking things that we might think are crazy like wine but the idea was you could trade that or sell it if you needed to and they also like they didn't have like obviously they didn't have amazon but they also didn't really have the u.s postal service it's not like you could order this stuff and it would arrive on your doorstep in a week and a half like this is going basically it's not the unknown at all but you're there's no like supply route really good supply route it's going to take months if you want to ship something out because again there's no quick way out there the railroad doesn't go out there yet and just a couple words about this heading west idea it takes about five months there's really no way to make it any shorter no you can make it longer spoiler alert <laughs> uh, but it, an estimated 500,000 people are going to make this journey one in ten would not make it so that's a pretty high rate of 50,000 uh, people. Yeah, 50,000 people, mostly disease. Uh, we think of them being vulnerable to Indian attack. And then some respects they were, but Indian attacks are pretty rare, Native American attacks. Uh, most Native Americans are actually going to prove pretty helpful. Yeah, actually. And there's not just one route. Uh, there are several paths, which we'll get into in a moment. And uh, like the Oregon Trail uh, computer game, you have to plan when you're going to leave. If you leave too early in March, things are still frozen. There's not enough grass. Your animals have trouble foraging. You don't have enough animals to shoot and kill and eat. Uh, but if you leave too late, A, you're going to cook while you drive across the middle of the plains in the middle of the summer. And B, it starts to snow in the mountains. And so the way that you make your way across to either California or Oregon there's mountains really close to the end of your journey. There's a couple different mountains ranges. If you're going to, um, to California, you're going to be caught in the Sierra Nevadas. And they're pretty unforgiving. Winter comes pretty early. If you leave too late, you might get caught in that. So it's so, all about this perfect moment. It's a perfect moment. Exactly. Basically, like early April seems to be like your perfect moment. The Donner Party starts out late and they lose time along the route. So they leave on May 12th. Uh, by June 16th, they're the, in the midst of what's now Nebraska. And so they're a little bit behind and they decide, and they're not, these are not stupid people. They are hearing and taking advice from people. There are adventurers and mountain men who are writing books and writing sort of documents about how exactly to do this. And the Donners are going to take advice from a man named Lansford Hastings. And 
Mm. Spoiler alert. (laughs) He's not a whole lot better than a confidence man. And he's going to be one of the big villains in this story. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that there's no truly villains, but Hastings is up there. Uh, And I should note, you know, they leave late, they lose time, but like you're talking about this wagon train at no point, at least up to this point, are they so isolated from people yet? So they're constantly crossing paths and intersecting and overlapping with other travelers. So you do what you do when you run into people, where are you going? What route are you taking? How's the trip? You know, so they're, they're, they have researched and planned for this, but they're also talking to people along the way. And, you know, when you run into somebody like Lansford Hastings and you're hearing um, from a lot of other people and then you hear from someone who's giving you what seems like a really good plan, um, I, I do agree he's a little more than a confidence man, but I don't think that the Donners and James Reed are necessarily naive or gullible. I think that they're, like you said, they're smart, they're intelligent, they, they prepared for this, but they're also talking to people and thinking, if we hear a good idea, maybe we'll take it. And they know they're behind too. And so that's going to factor into this. They want to make sure they get there before it gets too late in the year. And Lansford Hastings has proposed a shortcut, which is actually, as it turns out, not shorter. How do you call something a shortcut when it's not shorter? (laughs) I don't know. This is like a philosophical question. Uh, Basically, we're going to break this down a little. Uh, The cutoff leaves the Oregon Trail at something called Fort Bridger, uh, which is in Wyoming. And it passes through the Wasatch Range and along the Great Salt Lake, which is 80 miles of desert. And the Mormons have not journeyed out yet. That's not going to happen for another year or two. So Salt Lake is literally a desert. And... Oh, that's just, this so fills me with sadness for them. Um, Lansford Hastings is going to claim to have found an easier route. He claims that he did this route the year before in 1845. Turns out he didn't. He kind of um, exaggerated, shall we say. And he's going to uh, leave a route it sort of published this route in sort of newspapers that make it out east. And the he's going to leave notes along the trail. Like they, you can leave notes for people along these trails. And he's going to leave a note for the Donners saying that he's going to meet them at Fort Bridger. And there he will lead them through the Hastings cutoff. As long as they're there by this particular time. And Donner Party arrives to Fort Bridger a week too late to join. So Hastings is already gone. But he's left a note for them, though. So he says they can either catch up to them. Uh, they this, you know, definitely it's a good trail. You should definitely do it. And the Donners are the Donner party is going to get some advice from a journalist who's there and he, who's going to leave word that he feels this cut, cutoff is too difficult. You know, the road is not established. Uh, it's they've got a lot of little kids, a lot of children, a lot of this, and like the kids can't. You can't really ride. The little kids can't ride in the the wagon the whole time that's a lot of stress on the horses it's tough and so this and the thing about having a lot of kids is if it's not an established trail they can't clear brush Mm -hmm. they can't do a lot of that trail work that needs to be done and the donners primarily have either children or they are bringing along with them a number of their older in-laws and so they can't clear brush so when you don't have a lot of able-bodied kind of men from 20 to 50 20 to 60 
this already seems like a red flag to me because there's a physicality to going on a lesser traverse path, even if it's reliable. Yes. Allegedly reliable. Allegedly reliable. Like, you don't, like, the reason you take a path in these, at this point, is because there's literally a path for your wagon. Someone's cleared it. Someone has cleared it. They have, there's ruts that you literally will go into where the wheels have gone. There's, they know there are no big rocks. You're not going to be going over, you know, they've minimized the ability of going over water features. Like they have floats. And if you ever forded the Platte River in Nebraska on the Oregon Trail, that stuff has been established. You pay here, somebody to ferry you across. Yeah. And I'll just say one more thing too, which is by the time, the Donner party is debating this, trying to meet him at Bridger. They have already been warned. Yes. Not to go by an explorer friend of James Reed's a man named James Kleiman has already told them don't do this. Hastings doesn't know what he's talking about. He basically calls Hastings a liar, says this guy is talking about a path. He's never done it. Stick to the known California trail. Don't don't try to save time because it's not going to. And so they have been told um, long before they ever get here. And yet they just feel confident that because of their constant delays, that they can trust Hastings and that this is going to be to their benefit. Oh, just this hurts me. Um, so this journalist named Edwin Bryant will leave word at Fort Bridger that he feels the cutoff is too difficult. So this is warning number two. But this one never gets to the Donner Party for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is uh, they meet a man named Jim Bridger who is going to impress them with how easy the Hastings cutoff would be now, as it turns out, if you mentioned uh, the name Bridger before, Fort Bridger is named for him. And so he obviously wants to drive traffic to his fort so they'll buy things from him. And so it is speculated that he kept the letter from the journalist, Edwin Bryant, away from the Donner Party so that they would not get this warning and they would not divert away from his fort and not give him this business. And I'm just going to jump into a little tie into our gold rush episode because we touch on it here. There's always a lot of talk, I think, when we talk about the Western expansion, about the pioneers, the gold rushers, the Oregon trailers. And we tend to forget that there were people who went out simply to benefit, right? We There are people who went out and said, I'm not interested in forging a path. I'm going to establish my trade post and I'm going to sell. And so what benefits me is lots and lots of people passing through here. So it, as in any era in American history, there is somebody who's figured out how to make a buck off of this. And that's a huge element to the westward expansion is this commercial aspect of it that, you know, it doesn't really matter to Bridger what happens to the Donners when they leave because they've spent their money here. Right. And Tamsin Donner, who's the wife of George, is not really excited about this cutoff. She doesn't think this is a good idea. She doesn't trust Hastings. And she is kind of a little gloomy about all this. She thinks this is a bad plan. Uh, despite all of this, the Donner party is going to leave on July 31st, 1846. They leave Black Forks after four days of rest and wagon repairs. So now they are 11 days behind Lansford Hastings. Uh, so they're, they've fallen even further behind. So not only are, and you just to put yourself in their shoes, they're behind, they know it. 
they are now further behind, but they feel like they can make up this time by taking this cutoff. And so that's part of why they take an extra couple of days, give everybody a little rest and relaxation uh, before they take the Hastings cutoff. Spoiler alert, it's not going to work out too good for them. They turn south to follow the uh, Hastings cutoff into the Wasatch Mountain Range. Within days they're going to find that the terrain is much more difficult. They have to lock the wheels of their wagon to prevent them from rolling down inclines. Uh, the There's not a lot of trail. There's not a lot of, it's not been cleared. There's no obvious path. The cutoff is actually hard to find. Hastings is going to leave notes for them and stick them on trees, which does not seem to me to be the best way to do this. This is, A hundred percent though, once you make a decision like this, going back is really not an option, right? Um, It's so challenging. Um, And it's just as, as, as you read or watch in my mind, at least um, them at every step of this journey, you're like, go back, go back. Going back is not an option. It's not. You can't turn back. Like you can't stay where you are. Like the winter isn't that great in Wyoming either. And it's going to start in October and not lift until March or April. So you don't have a lot of, and you're not, again, this isn't just one family. The Donna Reed party is over 30 people and they're part of a larger wagon train by the end of the sort of, by the time they cut off to do the lands for the Hastings cutoff, they're about 80 people. So it's not like 80 people can just descend on Fort Bridger for the six months of winter. Like that's not an option. You can't turn back across the uh, country because that's just a bad idea too. So they're pressing forward and it's just not a, it's just not good. They have to uh, clear brush and fell trees and heave rocks and the whole nine yards and they get further and further and further behind. Uh, Takes them to August 20th by the time they reach a point in the mountains where they can even see the Great Salt Lake. Takes another two weeks to get out of the Wasatch Range. They, now they're arguing because now they're behind and they know it and they're pissed. And, and again, I, if you've road tripped with like three or four people in a car, you know what it's like. Imagine 80 people. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to sort of, I think, when you think about the Donner Party, just assume that they're like, well, they say to go this way, so let's go. As each of these things keep happening within the group, there is dissension. And I think it's important to remember that you have people who are related, right? You have uh, these immediate families mm-hmm. and you have extended family. Then you have the people you've partnered up with, but aren't your family. Uh, you have the fact that there are immigrants among you. Uh, and, and many of these families come from European immigrant families, um, but some of them have been in the country longer than others. So there starts to breed distrust. Mm-hmm. There starts to breed a sense of who actually knows what they're talking about. And as much as we describe people on the Oregon Trail as pioneers, very few of the people of those 500,000 who set out had ever done anything even mildly close to this. So they're all kind of novices, no matter how much preparation you try to do. And you're also, you're with your whole family, everything you hold dearest in the world, your kids, your old elderly relatives, all of your family Bible and your family jewels and everything that means anything to you. You're adventuring out and this has to work. And so there's a lot of tension because there's really no plan B here. 
They cross the, they takes them down to another two weeks to get out of the Wasatch Range. They then have to cross the Great Salt Lake Desert, which Lansford Hastings has told them will take two days. Does it, Becca? Does it take two days? It does not. And, and, and to be fair, the Donner's party seems to take longer doing everything. Yes. But he does tell them two days, there will be no water and no grass. Mm-hmm. So they do have a chance to prepare a little, but still this many people, this many animals, no water, no grass, this physical labor. And they've already been laboring for weeks getting through here. And it takes them six days to get across this desert. That's three times as long. That's three times as long. And so you've got animals and kids and no water on a desert. And the Great Salt Lake Desert, I've heard it's very pretty, but it's unforgiving. Yeah. It is hot because it's a desert during the daytime. It is freezing at nighttime. And there is nowhere to hide. This is also about the point, too, where they're starting to go, we have too much stuff. Yes. They, after three days, their water is gone. So they remove some of their oxen to press ahead. Some of the animals are so weakened that they were left yoked to the wagons and abandoned. They're going to abandon their stuff. They're going to abandon their animals. Which also like foreshadowing, if you know where the story is going, you start to go, ooh, they well, start, maybe, maybe having those animals would have been good. Maybe having those animals would have been good. The, it damages the, some of the wagons. No human lives are lost causing, causing the Great Salt Lake Desert. So they all make it, but they're already weak. And they're already thirsty and they're already annoyed at each other. They blame James Reed for a lot of this. He's the one who's going to really push for the, the um, Hastings cutoff. And they're starting to get a little bit, you know, angry. Fights are breaking out. Not really good. So by the time they get, um, they rejoin this trail, they, it is September 26th and they are a month behind and they are, were already behind. And it's this, it's just, you can't recover this time. Like you're, they are, they were already behind. They're now even a month behind that. It took them, everything is taking too long and they know it. They know what's coming. Like the desert was part of it. And then they have to make it through some more mountains. And this is what makes, I feel like the Oregon trail so fascinating is that you're the beginning part of the journey is pretty easy it you are <laughs> confronted with these huge obstacles right at the end like right as you're like out of patience out of time out of money out of everything everything so this is where we're really starting to see i think some major fractions fractures in the group and some factionings because at this point when they rejoin this trail and they're so far behind most people, most of the adults in this group know that this was not a good idea. They know that they are in trouble. They've had to leave behind and give up a lot of goods and animals. And some of them are really already going, I don't know if I have enough stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know now if we're going to make it. And in fact, James Reed at one point becomes a little bit of a, you know, all of a sudden it's like, it's about the group and not just about, you know, me, but uh, it's, I need everyone to submit an inventory of what they have left to us so we can divvy it up fairly. So you start to get this tension between, yes, there's no way to do something like the Oregon trail without a collective, you know, there has to be a sense of community because it is so hard and difficult, but now families are going, wait a second, 
I, I don't want to pool my resources with you because I have to feed my family and I have to do what's right for my kids. And so we're really starting to see uh, as they emerge out and rejoin the trail, who is set up to maybe survive this and who isn't. And we're starting to really see this sense of I'm out for myself if I have to be. And they know they've got one more pass, really big mountain pass through the Sierra Nevadas. It is going to be hard. They know that they've been prepped for this. It's going to be harder than the Wasatch range. Like they, and so they need, they need some supplies. They need, they some, need some food. Supplies. They need some animals, but they feel like they've been told it does not start snowing until the middle of November, mid to late November. And so they get into the Sierra Nevadas and they've got this one last push over mountains on October 20th. They're at a, a place called Truckee Lake, which is now called Donner Lake for reasons that are going to become clear. And it starts snowing in October. October 20th is the first recorded snowfall. And you can imagine like them all going, oh crap, this is bad. Uh, they, and this is not like a few flurries. This is a big snow. And they don't feel like they can go over this pass in this snow. And they had been told it wouldn't snow for another three or four weeks, by which time they had planned to be long past this. But now they're not. Uh, it is, the, there's a camp there that had been built a few years earlier. They're basically going to make camp. They're unable to find the trail. They don't know how to get out of where they're going. And they're all sort of, camped in this uh, area right around what was called Truckee Lake uh, within a couple miles of each other. Uh, they On November 4th, it snows more. And again, we're up in the mountains. This is not a few flurries. This we're, is not an we're talking 20 feet, 25 yeah. feet, 30 feet. It, it's, it is not something that even if you were prepared, which they were somewhat prepared for, you could do. There's no getting out of this. There just isn't. There's nowhere to go. They are completely trapped. And again, and it's not they, that they don't try. <laughs> it's not that they don't try. They do make several efforts to get out. They're going to send several parties out. James Reed at some point leaves. Uh, they've got, they're going to send uh, people out, sort of a scout party out for help. But they are, they've got little, little kids and the snow is like 20 feet deep. There's nowhere to go. So they make a camp. They have a little bit of food and their food is going to run out by Christmas. Literally on Christmas, uh, they run out of the last bit of food. Uh, they send parties out to help. There are three separate relief parties that make it up into the mountains that are going to take out survivors. And that doesn't really start happening until the new year, however. And the stories of what they're going to do is, is part of why you've heard of the Donner Party. They're going to... They're, animals start dying. They're going to eat their animals. They're going to basically boil the hides of their oxen uh, and try to eat that. They turn it into this like gelatinous, kind of like jello, I would imagine. Tastes terrible. Almost no nutritional value. Uh, they are going to eat everything they can find. Um, their shoes, candles, anything. Field mice, uh, pine cones, bark. Yes. They have a, like a Christmas, big Christmas dinner. And by January, they're facing starvation. They had, some of them attempt to just leave. 
they just walk away. They make snowshoes. Um, they are going to send out a search party for uh, war men are going to pack uh, a few days rations and a rifle and a blanket and basically take off uh, to try to get help. The snowshoes prove kind of awkward, but effective and they get confused and then this one of this sort of splinter group, uh, one of them proposes that someone should volunteer to die in order to feed the others. And that's kind of how that goes. There is a, and it turns out the guy who proposes this is the first one to die. At back at Truckee Lake, there's people are going to attempt rescues and they're getting thinner and thinner. Two of the um, Native American scouts that have been with them are going to uh, sort of break away and find a Native American encampment. The Native Americans think they're ghosts. They're so skinny when they show up uh, asking for help. Uh, so this is sort of where we are by the end of January. They, we are in desperate straits. And again, this is January. You still got a month and a half left of winter at, at least. <laughs> and it's important to, to understand if you have been fortunate enough to never be in this situation or, or have known people who experience this, that at the level of starvation and hunger that these people are in, they are delirious. Mm -hmm. They are hallucinogenic. I mean, hallucinatory. I mean, this is not just a physical breakdown. It's a mental breakdown. And some will fare better than others in that's just sort of the weird trick of biology, which is the women tend to to hold off a little better because of the way women store body fat versus men. The men have also had to do more exertion. Mm -hmm. And so they have already entered into this, having whittled down their reserves. Naturally, the younger you are is more helpful, although too young puts you at risk. Um, mm -hmm. So you do also see this bit of disparity um, that's happening among the group. So there's clearly some that are much weaker than others. Um, but this truly is uh, a survival, it's a survival moment. They are at the end of their ropes. They're at the end. Yeah. The limit of human endurance, really. Um, George Donner at some point injures his hand. And because obviously there's no medical care, it is, he's going to get an infection. It's going to spread to his shoulder and eventually turn gangrenous. Uh, his brother dies. There is rumors that uh, his body is used to feed his own children. They try very hard. Cannibalism is widely reported. This is sort of the, the one thing about the Donner Party that everybody's heard of, and it, it does appear to be true. Uh, they try real hard, apparently, not to eat family members which is nice of them, I guess. Uh, but this is there at the limit of human endurance. And one of the things that I read over and over again about as I was preparing for this, you know, one of the, um, the really great authors who writes about this, uh, Michael Wallace, he's asked over and over again, how could these people do this? And his response is, what would you do? Right. You know, I, I, what would you do if you're starving and your kids are starving? There is no other option. Like, are you going to watch your kids starve when there is something that you can do? I don't know. I'm not in that situation. And I feel very strongly that it is hard for us to judge from the comfort of our like warm houses with plenty of food uh, when we haven't walked a mile in their moccasins, so to speak. Yeah. And in this case, thousands of miles, right? I mean, they have traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, if it's so uh, frustrating, I guess it's not the right word, but you know, they make these choices along the way, like ditching animals. And it's so frustrating because you just think, okay, if they'd had some more protein, if they thought to um, 
treat the meat or do something with it so they could take it with them. Maybe they could have sustained, but they're also snowbound for so long that it's impossible to see this going any other way. And just like today, when most people sort of just know the Donner Party, the immediate aftermath of this is that that aspect is what's sensationalized. Oh, yeah. Um, and it also begs the question of this can't possibly have been the only time on the Oregon Trail that this happens, right? It's just the scale of this, um, the absolute scale, because of the whatever, 80 some odd that enter into this this journey, half of them survive. Mm-hmm. And the other half die, and and many of that half that die will be used to feed the survivors. Yes. And the third, there's a couple relief parties. By the third relief party, Tamsin Donner is, she's offered like four chances to leave and does not take any of them. She sends her children, uh, and so they all actually survive, but... um, she refuses to leave George. And it is clear by the third relief party that George is going to die. He yeah. can't be moved. He is, but she refuses to leave him. And I feel like there's been a lot of, um, Tamsin Donner in the aftermath of all of this uh, is going to be seen as sort of the angel of all of this. Like she wouldn't leave her husband and, you know, she sent her children and sacrificed herself to stay with their husband. And I just, it is clear to me that she could not possibly have been in her right mind. Like this must have just, this affected her decision-making and it just, I can't imagine that she would have, had she been sort of in command of her faculties, agreed to stay there without food. Um, the she So she refuses to leave George Donner and by the fourth relief party on April 10th. So imagine this, they've been trapped there since October 20th. That is November, December, January, February, March, and five and a half months of being trapped by a lake, starving. Fourth relief party gets there. George Donner has just died. Amazingly enough, he managed to hang on. Tamsin Donner has also refused, she refused to leave him and was also dead. And the story goes, there's only one survivor at this fourth relief. His name is Louis Kesseberg. And Louis Kesseberg was not a nice guy. He beat his wife. He was not particularly kind to anyone, really. And he, the story that he will tell is that Tamsin Donner uh, gave him money to bring to her their children uh, who are already in California. And, but the story that the relief uh, group tells is that they found him over a pot stirring what looks suspiciously like human flesh. So Louis Kesselberg is going to bear the brunt of a lot of this negative publicity uh, after all of this is over. The Donners are dead and their children are very young. So their youngest is like not quite three. So she remembers in later years, none of this. Yeah which is probably for the best, honestly. Uh, Louis Kesselberg is really unfairly maligned. Like he wasn't a good person and I don't think he would have said that he was, but he is going to be called Kesselberg cannibal for years. He has nothing but failed businesses. People find out who he is and basically kick him out. Um, And it is uh, news of the Donner Party's fate is going to spread eastward by someone we've already talked about, as it turns out, Becca, uh, Sam Brannon. Of course, of course. Yeah, so 
you don't know who Sam Brandon is, listen to our Gold Rush episode. Uh, he's going to run into the, sal- the last salvage party as they come down from the past with Kesseberg. Uh, news of the ordeal reaches uh, New York City by July. So this actually is going pretty quickly. Uh, and Kesseberg is um, very much the um, bad guy. He's going to take a lot of the brunt of all they of sort this. of make him the villain in this yes. story, um, which again, I think is, is like you said, I don't think he's a good person per se. Um, the beating of his pregnant wife is not ideal, but um, there's a lot of attention to the sensational aspect of the cannibalism. Whereas again, that was something that was practiced throughout this, this, mm-hmm. you know, they're, while they're trapped, it just is what people are doing to survive. And uh, the Donner girls, George and Tams's children are going to be taken in by an older couple. They're raised. Uh, Eliza never really leaves. She's the youngest. She never really leaves um, uh, California. And she's going to be, this never sort of leaves her either. She's eventually going to publish an account of this. Um, and uh, later on in life, she actually meets with Louis Kesselberg uh, as he's like elderly and on the, the edge of death. Uh, she's he's going to ask to meet with her and assure her that, you know, he didn't kill her mother and that he didn't defraud them. Because there's this whole idea that Kesselberg, not only did he eat Tamsin Donner, that he killed her to eat her and then stole the money that she had wanted him to give uh, her kids. Kesselberg's story is that Tamsin died and they had buried this money and then he couldn't find it. And so there's this very tearful, very well-publicized reunion between the two of them later on in life. Um, she uh, she don't wasn't will not remember this herself, but uh, publishes an account of it. The youngest person in the party is a, a girl named Isabella Breen. She's a year old. She survives and is the last survivor of the Donner Party dying in 1935. Uh, and so this is such a such an interesting moment in American history. The Donner Party just leaves with so much like hope and almost arrogance, I think. Um, they And they're in that way, they're sort of mirroring their country. Like we have an expansionist president, James Polk wants to conquer the West and he's like doing big things. And they're so like of that, like manifest destiny idea. We're going to push West and take all this stuff. And then like, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and it just ends horribly. And so it's just such a great, I think the reason it's in the popular imagination is it's just such a great example of hubris, you know? It is um, sort of incredible to think about the scale of it because the Donner Reed party are not unique when they set out, right? As we said earlier, but half a million people do this. and all the people that are setting out to do this are go- carrying on with a little bit of what um, the historian Michael Wallace calls ignorance and arrogance, right? And you ha- kind of have to, if you're going to do something this crazy and this hard, is you have to think you can do it. And you have to be a little uh, in the dark about how hard it's going to actually be. But they set out like so, so many thinking that they can do it. And the the arrogant part that sort of uh, needles you at every step of the story is there's so many places along the way they could have said, wait a second, is this a good idea? Wait a second, is this the best option for us? Wait a second, wait a second. But in many ways, just to do this journey, as you said, once you start, you have to complete it one way or another. Like you have to keep going. Um, 
in, in, in many ways, that is America's manifest destiny policy. Once we start westward expansion, we can't stop. Right. It doesn't matter that the West isn't abandoned. doesn't matter that there's hundreds of thousands of people already living in the West before European uh, and, and uh, East Coast travelers said that way. Um, it doesn't matter that the nature is uh, untamable. We have to do it, right? We can't stop doing it. We can't stop conquering this element. And so you're absolutely right. It is such a metaphor for where the country is. And that, you know, if, if, if you survive it, great, good for you. But many, many people are going to lose their lives along the way. There's a price to this. Oh, there absolutely is a price to this. And there's no, and the, for the Donners, like they emerge with nothing, nothing. Like the kids have nothing. They have no money. They have no possessions, literally nothing. And while the Donner party, the, the mortality is higher, I think, than in a lot of other sort of wagon trains, you can imagine people getting to this point and just chucking all the stuff they have. It's just too much to travel with. And so you end up with so much less uh, than you started out with and you just get to the West Coast and you're, it's not like you're getting to the West Coast and you're getting to a, a full town, like you're getting there and you're in the middle of a wilderness that you have to figure out how to shelter and make a living and all of these things. So it's just so much like there's so many different places along the way they could have made you, like you said, made different decisions, made better decisions. And there's so many different, it's so amazing to me, all the people that did this because it's just such a testament to like bravery and um, almost foolhardiness at the same time. Like there, I, it's a good thing I was born when I was born. Cause I couldn't do this. Like, I'll tell you what, like two days in a wagon, I'd be like, bye. And the Donner Party and the infamy and, and sort of sensationalism around it sort of does two things. Mm-hmm. It makes people more cautious about this journey. Uh, we do start to see some drop off from traveling the Oregon Trail, probably not just because of the Donner Party, but because of many people who struggle to make it, many people who lose money, many people who lose members of their family, not to mention the Mexican-American War sort of going on and making it not so hospitable to travel through. But also, this story inspires people because if you can survive it, right, it's this incredible, like you said, you are so brave and courageous and almost foolhardy, but it's exactly the story of America. And it's the story of um, if you get through this trial by fire, right, then you've really earned it. You're a true American. You're a true pioneer. So it sort of has this incredible like dual life of like a cautionary tale and be careful. And it does, I think, very much make people go, is this what we want our family to do? But it also very much adds to the myth of for those that make it, you are somehow truly American. Right. Like you've been across the country. You've seen it. You've traversed the You've conquered nature. You've conquered nature and lived to tell about it. And so it gives you this like, you know, cachet, like, well, we made it across, like not everybody does. And there is a dip, I think, in the people who go across at some point because of this, but less than a year after the Donner Party is rescued, they're going to discover gold in the foothills (laughs) in California and transition into our next podcast about the gold rush. Um, That's going to spark a whole different wave of immigration. And it's more people and it's bigger and better and they want to go 
uh, to get gold uh, in the gold fields. Um, and so the Donner Party is going to become a tourist attraction almost immediately. By 1854, they have the cabins that they lived in are like part of a tourist attraction. Today, it's a state park and there's like a big statue to them. And it is insane to me. I do not understand, particularly in the immediate aftermath of this, why you would want to do this as a like a vacation. Like why? What about this says hey, let's go up to Truckee Lake and see cabins where people died and ate each other. Like, I don't know. That just doesn't seem to me my kind of vacation. I definitely think that element of it, right? The uh, taboo mm. element, in which has been true in history as, as old as time, right? People are attracted to the macabre. They're attracted yes. to the taboo. They're attracted to uh, the idea of good people, doing bad things. And I, I use all those with, with much quotation around the words. Um, but I also think because of what it represents in terms of our westward expansion, there is this sense of like, you know, let's commemorate those that don't make it across, right? The ones that die trying. Right. And if you're curious about what happens to Lansford Hastings, nothing, nothing happens to him. Um, the California Gold Rush is going to create a increase in use of his cutoff, but not for long. By 1850, there's a development of a new route called the Salt Lake Cutoff, which I'm hoping very much. Oh, yes, it does. It actually um, avoids the Great Salt Lake altogether, the desert. And so the Hastings Cutoff is abandoned because it sucks. And crossing a desert is bad. And um, they're going to basically... It remains the end of the Mormon trail. Uh, and so this is also part of the reason the Mormons are going to pick Salt Lake because no one wants to go there. And they're like, yeah, people will leave us alone. It'll be great. Uh, and so the Hastings, cut Hastings cutoff has a very short life and uh, Hastings does not really seem to suffer any ill effects of any of this. So good times for Lansford Hastings. He lives, um, uh, he serves in a... Um, at the end of the war, he's actually going to go to uh, Richmond and side with the Confederacy during the Civil War. Good times, Lansford Hastings. Bad. All bad. So that's what we have about Lansford Hastings. Um, I love that. I think the Donner Party is so really interesting. There's just so much. It's such a great metaphor for so many things about this time period in American history. And the West is so fascinating and nature is bad actually that's the the takeaway we should all have like i don't even camp guys like me going across the country in a wagon is no closest i'm ever doing to that is actually the, the game <laughs> it's honestly just so amazing to me that people did it and were successful uh we did that sort of one in ten stat one in ten won't make it but that means 90 percent of the people who set out to do this did make it yes. and it's sort of amazing to think about that, to think that there were children that do this, to think about the people who go out and start new lives and carve out new communities and new cities and new places, um, and how fundamentally that westward expansion changes this country um, is just incredible. Uh, and again, to know it's not as though no one was there. It's not as though this was completely untouched, undiscovered land, which adds to that level of, I think, complexity to the West. Um, so they go out on this journey and it's a bloody one and it's a difficult one. One of the beautiful things I think about uh, the United States is our natural wonders. I mean, we have 
an incredible diversity of environments in our continent, right? And in our country, but to have to navigate it and traverse it is exceptionally challenging. Um, and, you right. know, we are so, I think, taken as, as a country and a people by the idea of conquering that nature, right. um, that this just so embodies that. But it is, it's almost sad to me that the element that everybody really focuses on is, you know, they ate each other or this one guy ate everybody. And it's, it's not how that happened, um, you know, uh, but also, what would you do? What would you do if it was you or your loved one? What would you do if you had been out of your mind for five months, if you'd been delusional? And and um, when you read these sort of stories of what condition these survivors were in, we talk about the survivors that are picked up by the relief parties. Some of these survivors can't walk. Some of them can barely move. Uh, one of the children's feet were so frostbitten that they were burned because she had fallen asleep with her feet in the fire and couldn't even feel it. Um, that's the level to which their bodies are at. And so how, how are we and who are we to judge the choices they make to stay alive? Or in many cases, to keep their children alive who have the best chance of surviving this. Yeah. It's really a generational story. It's got everything. It's got everything. It's got adventure. Yeah. Here is my plea. Um, I always like to bring in the pop culture thing to this. There is a movie that was made. It's not really very good, guys. It's It's got Crispin Glover, who I'm a fan of, but it is a boring, boring movie about something that's not boring. How do you make this boring? There's a TV uh, movie that was done that I've not seen that sounds slightly better. But honestly, I think this would make an excellent sort of prestige TV drama. I think that really expanding what we know about the Donner Party beyond just the sort of events when they're snowbound and really understanding what it was like to take these multiple generations of people, to take these people of different backgrounds, binding together to do this journey, and then the natural implosion of that when things go badly would make for fascinating slow burn TV, call me, FX at Hulu or HBO Max. I am here to consult and help because I would watch it. I would watch yeah. it so hard. So hard. There's also a blink and you'll miss it reference to the Donner Party in one of my favorite movies of all time, Beetlejuice. Mm. When they're in hell, uh, there is the, uh, one of the guys says, calls out Donner, party at two. And I just love that. And it makes me laugh every time. Very funny, very funny, very funny. Yeah. Oh, anyway, thanks for... So this has been the it for season one, you guys. Wow. We've talked about so many cool things. Um, we're definitely going to have to do like a, a retrospective on our entire season one at some point, uh, but we will be back in your ear holes probably not until after Labor Day. Uh, we've got season two is shaping up to look good, at least the early couple of months. Um, if you have thoughts, send them our way. If you want us to cover a particular topic uh, or uh, go into depth on a particular person, uh, we are here for that. We ready are ready to... Uh, listen and respond to your history needs. Um, stay tuned. Have a wonderful rest of your August. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our patrons. Thank you for everybody who made season one possible. We love you guys. We're so excited for season two, which sounds like we're taking a long break, but literally just a couple weeks to like get organized. Weeks, that's fine. <laughs> literally just like a few days to get organized for season two. Uh, so hopefully we'll you. have some announcements and news for you. But thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.